Hello and welcome back to Tabling the Podcast. My name is Ariana Karp and I'm here with a wonderful group of actors that is going to take us across the finish line through Act 5 of Henry Fourth, Part 2. Um, excellent. So we, uh, at the very end of Act 4, King Henry IV uh, was on his deathbed and he had a reconciliation with his son, It's a very emotional scene. And then he sort of says, take me to Jerusalem, which as he finds out right before he dies in the supreme irony, he thought he would die in the place Jerusalem. However, he's going to die in a antechamber called that was just happened to be called Jerusalem. So irony of ironies, that's where he dies. Um, so that's sort of where we leave it. And then we zoom back to the country. This is a Falstaff and Bardolph and presumably the page as well have gone to revisit our favorites, Justice Shallow and Justice Silence. Um, so off they go and we'll, we'll have another wonderful cascade of repeated words <laughs> whenever you're ready, Amber. <laughs> By cock and pie, sir, you shall not away tonight. What, Davy, I say? You must excuse me, Master Robert Shallow. Oh, I will not excuse you. You shall not be excused. Excuses shall not be admitted. There is no excuse shall serve. You shall not be excused. Why, Davy? Here, sir. Davy, 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 let me see, Davy, let me see, Davy, let me see. Oh, yay! Mary William Cook, bid him come hither. Sir John, you shall not be excused. Mary, sir, thus those precepts cannot be served. And again, sir, shall we sow the headland with wheat? Oh, with red wheat, Davy. But for William Cook, are there no... Young pigeons? Yes, sir. Here is now the smith's note for shoeing and plow irons. Oh, let it be cast and paid. Sir John, you shall not be excused. Now, uh, sir, a new link to the bucket must needs be had. And, sir, do you mean to stop any of William's wages about the sack he lost at Hinckley's Fair? We shall answer it. Uh, some pigeons, Davy, a couple of short-legged hens, a, a joint of mutton, and um, any pretty little tiny kickshaws. Tell William Cook. Doth the man of war stay all night, sir? Oh, yea, Davy, I will use him well. A friend of the court is better than a penny in purse. Use his men well, Davy, for they are errant knaves and will backbite. <laughs> no worse than they are backbidden, sir, for they have marvelous foul linen. Well conceited, Davy. About thy business, Davy. I beseech you, sir, uh, to countenance William Vizor of one caught against Clement Perks of the Hill. There is many complaints, Davy, against that visor. That visor is an errant knave, on my knowledge. I grant your worship that he is a knave, sir. But yet, God forbid, sir, 
but a knave should have some countenance at his friend's request. An honest man, sir, is able to speak for himself when a knave is not. I have served your worship truly, sir, these eight years, and I cannot once or twice in a quarter bear out a knave against an honest man. I have little credit with your worship. The knave is mine honest friend. Sir, therefore I beseech you, let him be countenance. Go to, I say, he shall have no wrong. Look about, Davy. Where are you, Sir John? Come, 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 off with your boots. Oh, give me your hand, Master Bardolph. I am glad to see your worship. Oh, I thank thee with my heart, kind Master Bardolph. And welcome, my tall fellow. Come, Sir John. I will follow you, good master Robert Shallow. Bartle, look to our horses. If I were sawed into quantities, I should make four dozen of such bearded hermit staves as Master Shallow. It is a wonderful thing to see the summable coherence of his men's spirits, and his, they, by observing him, do bear themselves like foolish justices. He, by conversing with them, is turned into a justice-like serving man. The spirits are so married in conjunction with the participation of society that they flock together in consent like so many wild geese. <laughs> if I had a suit to match the shallow, I would humor his men with the imputation of being near their master. If to his men, I would curry with Master Shallow that no man could better command his servants. <laughs> it is certain that either wise-bearing or ignorant carriage is caught as men take diseases one after another. Therefore, let men take heed of their company. I will devise matter enough out of this Shallow to keep Prince Harry in continual laughter the wearing out of six factions, <laughs> which is four terms or two actions, and I shall laugh without intervallums. Oh, it is much that a lie with a slight oath and a jest with a sad brow will do a fellow that never had the ache in his shoulders. Oh, you shall see him laugh till his face be a wet cloak ill-laid up. Sir John! Um, I come, Master Shallow. I come, Master Shallow. <laughs> um, <laughs> wonderful. Um, I'm very happy that we're going back to the countryside and we get to spend some more time with our justices. Um, I want to start with Davy. Danny, tell us all about this sweet character Davy I loved your sort of like remind myself to say sir um, <laughs> way that you said sir it was really it was quite adorable um, <laughs> uh, tell us about about Davy and just the, the sort of this is a this is a new character that we're that we're meeting here in act five yeah um I don't know just like um anxious mm. Um, uh, but also preoccupied. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Think, um, you know, um, it took me a minute to realize, to, to decide whether, whether um, her friend or his friend, Visor, Visor, is it yeah. Visor or Visor? I think Visor? I'm probably Visor, but I, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think Visor is, is the friend. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is yeah. a knave? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so she likes her friend who's a knave. So it just took me a minute. It's like, oh, okay, it's a knave, but it's, it's a friend. Yes. <laughs> and the and the countenance here, meaning, it's a, it's a bit different. That I think of countenance meaning like face, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but countenance here meaning favor like, or yeah, patronage. approval. Yeah, yeah, approval. Exactly. Um, so that it's like, can we get my friend off? You know, like yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've served you well and therefore let my service sort of extend to this name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... But they, they do seem to have a good working relationship, Shallow and, 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 and Davy. Davy is probably the head of his household, um, and has a, a million things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that's so what that was the preoccupation feeling like, yeah. like oh yeah uh and then the next scene too it's like yeah uh so, you you and you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who needs more wine yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really wonderful and I, I I like the visual in my head of like the page also being on stage with Davy that it's like this is what the page is going to become like a couple years down the line is this like super active like crazy like running around doing everything um and and actually wonderfully i i just recorded with the henry v group last night and this page makes it into henry v and is probably one of the boys that's killed at the battle of agincourt by the french um but before that he has this wonderful he has these wonderful moments alone with the audience where he sort of just goes oh my god because he's been hanging out with bardolph and pistol and nim and he kind (laughs) of is just like these guys are the worst. <laughs> he sort of has this moment to the audience of like, I need new friends. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's very sweet. But, and then he uh, surprisingly, like, again, though, the, the serving man that is remarkably uh, competent because like the page boy is the one who's able to speak in French, like where he learned French, I don't know, you know, to the French soldier that Pistol has captured um and then here it's like Davy knows absolutely everything that's happening in this not only in the household but it's like in the county he seems to also kind of be like the law clerk who is (laughs) responsible for for carrying out and following up with all these different suits so this is like a very busy person (laughs) and I very much got that from your reading so well done (laughs) um and then, of course, we've got shallow, just as shallow, with his repetitions that I just love. Um, well, he's old, Ariana. Yeah. He's old. It's so hard <laughs> to remember these things. Davy, 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 Davy. What was I going to say, Davy? What was I going to want you for? Oh, I, I just love it, though, because to me, it's like those repetitions. There are some additions that cut those out. And I'm like, you're missing the entire character if you cut them out. Yeah. The character is about this sort of like repeating the phrase to make sense of it. And like that is the character, the way in which he talks, you know. So and I, and I think they're yeah. old. I think they're old. And Bob <laughs> is old. They're old. These are the old guys. <laughs> what did I need you for again? Like, yeah, that's 
why did I tell you to come in here? Although I will say that I, I, I've had quite a few moments uh, with just, maybe well, it's, it's just, just COVID. You're busy. It's just because you're busy. Oh, but just like walking into a room and being like, why did I come here? That I was, was in the desk. I was, I was at the desk. Hold oh, on. I wanted water, you know, but it like takes a while. You know? like, right. But, <laughs> I think it's a very human thing to do. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> table read. It is. Um, absolutely. Um, but, but we also get a sense, I think we get a wonderful flavor of the kinds of concerns that are a part of this country life, which, which are very different. It's a very different kind of language than we hear with the taverners, for example. They have, they have very different oaths and swearing and soldier things. Um, but they're, they're, we get a really like a, a flavor of their life, I think, with all of these interactions between yeah, Shallow yeah. and Davy. By um, cup and pie. Oh, by they don't pie. say that at the court. That's true. And apparently this this was like an oath that sort of meant by God in the service book. Um, it was a very sort of old fashioned oath. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and a fun little, a fun little Shakespeare fun fact, the Hinkley Fair, where the guy, he, he, he lost some alcohol while he was at Hinkley Fair which I love I'm like oh what could have happened to it <laughs> but um the um Hinkley Fair there was a, a town that was just northeast of Stratford-upon-Avon which was the location of a very large fair and I just love the idea that like because Shakespeare um you know was sort of brought up in this country town that there's like a flavor of that that's coming into this play there's like very much a sort of provincial sense and all of these things about like, let's get the, the food is fresh, you know, like we've got pigeons, we've got hens with like, it's just, it's a, it's a better life, I think, than Bardolph and Pistol and Falstaff are living. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's just because I'm living in the country right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the food is so much better, man. <laughs> um Anyway, um, yeah, I just wonder, were there any, were there any other sort of observations about the, the first half of the scene before we get to the, the nice, the nice big chunk of a Falstaff speech here? Well, um, he's, uh, he, uh, uh, I guess that's why he gives uh, Falstaff all that money to have a friend in the court, yeah. than a penny in the purse. My <laughs> gosh, that's a Absolutely. lot of money well, and I, yes, and I, and I love this. So backbite, right, meaning slander or revile, but then backbitten is a wonderful correspondence to that because probably these guys all had like fleas or whites or something, you know, because their, their linen is quite foul, right? As, as Davey says. Um, but yeah, that is a kind of interesting political moment from Shallow that seems to be a very wise sort of like, he's under the impression that Falstaff has quite, a lot of status influence yeah <laughs> yes. influence influence which yeah, which makes it even sadder at the end i think yeah. that when he gets rejected they're gonna call oh me though. they're gonna call me yeah i'm i'm i must say i'm not looking forward to the full staff rejection scene because it just breaks my heart every time it's just it's really sad. and in fact we've we've spent a lot of time in the henry v talking about like 
because Falstaff isn't in Henry V, it's like maybe this is why we have all these scenes where the horse, the French are just talking about their horses are my mistress, my mistress is my horse. And like, and maybe that's why we have this strange scene with the four captains, like speaking in completely unintelligible accents and sort of regional stereotypes you know it's like we need that many gestures to sort of make up for the fact that we don't have Falstaff in Henry V um, which was an interesting uh, I thought an interesting conclusion of all of these sort of question mark Um, but yeah it's it's, it's a big presence right not just not just in his size but just he's a big personality in any room Um, and it's kind of the end of things yeah the end of things it's the end of Falstaff it's the end of Henry it's the end of a reign it's the end of a political period it's uh, yeah I mean and these guys are old I mean it's the end of their lives absolutely you know COVID brings out a lot Falstaff (laughs) isn't that old Well, Sorry. what a wonderful transition, Marty. Do tell us about this Falstaff speech. <laughs> well, no, I just, uh, I'm, I'm first struck again by how Falstaff is written and, and observing and like a battle of the bands with other weird characters and or, or an MC or narrator to the scenes that are actually happening. And um I get the impression like Shakespeare was like sometimes writers can write one play or one character and that's all anyone wants you to write ever again. Yes. And um, they often resent it. And um, it seems like Shakespeare is like, no, not doing it. But then he, you know, <laughs> he, he has these, um, still has these wonderful speeches and, and moments here and then kills him off basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, we're done with him. All right. Um, but uh yeah, and I think he he um, I think he ended the last time we saw him. He was planning on coming back, and sort of reminds me of the Sting. Um, he's trying to figure out how he's going to make his make uh, Master Robert Shallow his mark and um, milk him for all he can. And uh, and you know, as far as the influence of the court, I think uh, it's interesting. Uh, Falstaff's reputation he's very good at separating people from their money until they get to know him until they've done it once or twice mm-hmm. and um to other people he's a knight and he's a, a hero from yeah. the battle of Shrewsbury and he's um and it takes a while until you realize oh this guy is who he is and the more you know him the more you dislike him in the play but the audience the more you know him the more you like him um, yes so it's kind of the exact opposite and um so I think he's just sort of sitting back and watching this whole sort of ridiculous play between the, the familiarity between uh, Master Robert Shallow and his servants plays out and how they're playing one another and um, don't want to offend each other. And, you know, it just seems very uh, funny and odd to him. And um, and he, I, th- I think he's like sort of like sitting back and trying to find what, what's my way in? What's my way in? How yeah. am I going to? to take this guy for even more than I've already <laughs> taken him for. And um, so, and I, I think that's what he's doing and he's delighting in the idea of getting back with Hal and yeah. um, just sort of, um, which I think makes the more, you know, the, the next scene all the more poignant. Um, 
uh, you know, those imaginings of like what might have been um, or what, you know, what you anticipate being and um, it never comes to pass that those, those, those hopes and dreams and um, which I think are very sweet for him and very sweet for the audience, both in the, the honest affection he has for Hal and for um, the big payoff. It's like, you know, if, if, if Hal has been along, you know, the, uh, the, the, the long sting, what do they call it? Like the big, the big sting. Yeah. Um, that the long gonna con. Pay off once his father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the long con. Yeah. Um, it never pays off, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. so it's, um, but, you know, if it's never really set up that way, but um, if it was, you, you, you would realize that he lost his heart to hell too. So it's, you know, it's yeah. in, during that, um, that long con, which was probably unanticipated by, by him. So. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I can't, because we, I've been recording this at the same time as the Henry V, um, Falstaff kind of haunts Henry V in such a, in such a way. And the hostess has the most beautiful speech about his death. And, um, you know, but even before that, she has this wonderful line, the king hath killed his heart, talking about Falstaff. And it really is like, what do you do when such a sanguine character that really is all about heart when their heart is killed? Like there's nothing they're not, they almost, it's like they almost fade away at that point because the thing that is most distinctive about them sort of vanishes. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is act. F oh, act five is of this play is really hard for me. It's just like, I'm too attached to Falstaff, you know, and, and it, it's just like, I know it's coming and I just don't want it to happen. Um, but I, yeah. Uh, you don't, uh, Falstaff is usually the one who knows every angle, you know, he's, yeah. he's looking at it quite objectively, quite, you know, um, subjectively. He, he, he knows what's put, what buttons he's pushing and what buttons are being pushed on him. And, um, whether he's a, a agreeable to it or not but here it's he's taken by surprise he's yeah you know, it's like he just doesn't um you know he thinks he's got it all figured out and it yep. really pulls the rug out from under him yes and i would i actually think that is a fantastic transition to our next scene because that's how the court feels about how they feel like they know exactly what he's going to be like including his brothers which i'm like <laughs> whoa um but so when we have I, I liam i just would love to get your perspective once we read through this scene of warwick seems to be very different here than he is in the scenes where he's reassuring henry the fourth like no no your son's gonna be fine he's just getting to know his people and once he does that, then he'll, 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 he'll come, you know, he'll, he'll live up to your expect, he'll do more than live up to your expectations. This seems to be a very, very big swing in the opposite direction. Um, and so we have Warwick, uh, who is, of course, one of the, the king's very good, uh, close advisors, and the Lord Chief Justice, who we haven't seen in a while, who obviously like is the um, 
Falstaff's nemesis as it was, uh, as it were. Um, and it let's, yeah, let's go through this, this rather uh, another instance of people having the rug sort of pulled out from under them by the end of the scene. Um, Cause I think, I think that's wonderful, Marty. And that's something we're going to see over the next couple scenes is the character's expectations are completely overturned um, in a very short amount of time. <laughs> How now, my Lord Chief Justice, whither away? How doth the king? Exceeding well, his cares are now all ended. I hope not dead. He's walked the way of nature, and to our purposes he lives no more. I would his majesty had called me with him. The service that I truly did his life hath left me open to all injuries. Indeed, I think the young king loves you not. I know he doth not and do arm myself to welcome the condition of the time, which cannot look more hideously upon me than I have drawn it in my fantasy. Here come the heavy issue of dead Harry. Oh, that the living Harry had the temper of he, the worst of these three gentlemen. How many nobles then should hold their places that must strike sail to the spirits of vile sort? Oh, God, I fear all will be overturned. Good morrow, cousin Warwick. Good morrow. Good morrow, cousin. We meet like men that had forgot to speak. I, we do remember, but our argument is all too heavy to admit much talk. Well, peace be with him that hath made us heavy. Peace be with us, lest we be heavier. Oh, good, my lord. You have lost a friend indeed. And I dare swear you borrow not that face of seeming sorrow. It is sure your own. Though no man be assured what grace to find, you stand in coldest expectation. I am the sorrier. Would twere otherwise. Well... You must now speak Sir John Falstaff fair, which swims against your stream of quality. Sweet princes, what I did, I did in honor, led by the impartial conduct of my soul. And never shall you see that I will beg a ragged and forestalled remission. If truth and upright innocency fail me, I'll to the king my master that is dead and tell him who hath sent me after him. Here comes the prince. Good morrow, and God save your majesty. The new and gorgeous garment, majesty, sits not, as so, sits not so easy on me as you think. Brothers, you mix your sadness with some fear. This is the English, not the Turkish court. Not Amaroth, and Amaroth succeeds, but Harry, Harry. Yet... Be sad, good brothers, for by my faith it very well becomes you. Sorrow so royally in you appears that I will deeply put the fashion on and wear it in my heart. Why then be sad, but entertain no more of it, good brothers, than a joint burden laid upon us all. For me, by heaven, I bid you be assured, I'll be your father and your brother too. Let me but bear your love, I'll bear your cares. Yet weep that Harry's dead, and so will I. But Harry lives that shall convert those tears by number into hours of happiness. We hope no otherwise from your majesty. You all look strangely on me, and you most, 
You are, I think, assured I love you not. I am assured, if I be measured rightly. Your majesty hath no just cause to hate me. No. How might a prince of my great hopes forget so great indignities you laid upon me? What rate, rebuke, and roughly send to prison the immediate heir of England? Was this easy? May this be washed in leith? Lethe. Lethe and forgotten. I then did use the person of your father. The image of his power lay then in me. And in the administration of his law, whilst I was busy for the Commonwealth, your highness pleased to forget my place, the majesty and power of law and justice. The image of the king whom I presented and struck me in my very seat of judgment, whereon as an offender to your father, I gave bold way to my authority and did commit you. If the deed were ill, be you contented, wearing now the garland to have a son set your decrees at naught, to pluck down justice from your awful bench, to trip the course of law and blunt the sword that guards the peace and safety of your person. Nay, more, to spurn at your most royal image and mock your workings in a second body. Question your royal thoughts, make the case yours. Be now the father and propose a son. Hear your own dignity so much profaned. See your most dreadful laws so loosely slighted. Behold yourself so by a son disdained. And then imagine me taking your part and in your power soft silencing your son. After this cold considerance, sentence me. And as you are a king, speak in your state what I have done that misbecame my place, my person, or my liege's sovereignty. You are right, Justice, and you weigh this well. Therefore still bear the balance and the sword, and I do wish your honors may increase till you do live to see a son of mine offend you, and obey you as I did. So shall I live to speak my father's words. Happy am I that have a man so bold that dares do justice on my proper son, and no less happy having such a son that would deliver up his greatness so into the hands of justice. You did commit me, for which I do commit into your hand the unstained sword that you have used to bear with this remembrance that you use the same with the like bold, just, and impartial spirit as you have done against me. There is my hand. You shall be as a father to my youth. My voice shall sound as you do prompt mine ear, and I will stoop and humble my intents to your well-practiced, wise directions. And princes all, believe me, I beseech you, my father is gone wild into his grave, for in his tomb lie my affections. And with his spirit sadly I survive to mock the expectations of the world, to frustrate prophecies, and to raise out rotten opinion, who hath ripped me down after my seeming. The tide of blood in me hath proudly flowed in vanity till now. How doth it turn? 
and ebb back to the sea, where it shall mingle with the state of floods and flow henceforth in formal majesty. Now call we our high court of parliament, and let us choose such limbs of noble counsel that the great body of our state may go in equal rank with the best governed nation, that war or peace or both at once may be as things acquainted and familiar to us, in which you, Father, shall have foremost hand. Our coronation done, we will... A sight. A sight, thank you. Our coronation done, we will a sight, as I before remembered, all our state, and God, consigning to my good intents, no prince nor peer shall have just cause to say... God shorten Harry's happy life one day. Well, that was a bit of a turn. Um, goodness. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts, but I it, thoughts. <laughs> well, the chief justice is like, he's just laying it all out there. Yeah. You know? He's ready to be beheaded, I guess, for his honor. He's, he is honorable. I have to say that much about him. Mm -hmm. he believes in the law absolutely absolutely i um it is kind of a remarkable speech to say to a new king right i mean it's it takes some balls really yeah <laughs> very <laughs> much very much um <laughs> yeah i mm. But yeah, it's exactly, I, I guess, you know, what Harry wants. I mean, like he's casting off that sort of Falstaff, you know, I think back to Henry the Fourth. you know, it's like Falstaff is, of course, just trying to get out of all the situations. It's not being honorable and it, it blows up in his face to some extent here. But, um, but yeah, we see justice being honest here. And I, I guess that's something we see how appreciate. Absolutely. I, I, I wonder, Noah, maybe this, the, I think this is a question for you, but sort of, when do you think that Henry decides to sort of not punish the Lord Chief, not use his power to punish the Lord Chief Justice slash give him more honors than he already has, which he has quite a few. I mean, it'd be very easy to say <clears throat> that it was, you know, in his promise to his father on his deathbed that, mm -hmm. you know, this is, is, uh, him following through on that but i i mean for me this scene you're seeing the most public version of you know how becoming the king whereas before even in the tavern when he's public it's still very personal yeah this, this is this is a ruler saying things and and you know perhaps observing his father's own interactions with nobles that he didn't get along with hal <laughs> is is not only pardoning but he's lifting up people that have challenged him in a way that pulls them onto his own side um, yeah yeah and he actually did this historically which i think is important like he re-enfranchised mortimer who was the person who all mm -hmm. the rebellions kept trying to put on the throne and in fact became so close with uh mortimer that the 
mini rebellion that appears at the beginning of Henry V of the three nobles who it, it's not really explained their motives, but historically they wanted to put Mortimer on the throne <laughs> were given away by Mortimer himself, who had just become really good friends with, with Henry V and was like, so there's this rebellion. They're like trying to put me on the throne. Like, I think you should squish that down. <laughs> like it's so like he had a, he had a very, um, he had a remarkable, way of reenfranchising people who had rebelled against his father um which is obviously that's one way to sort of heal some wounds is like give the people who feel like they haven't received what they deserve what they feel they should deserve um but it it, it is i think it is important to note that there were fewer civil uprisings during the reign of henry v than any other english king during this time um and I think that's probably because he actually took what his father said to heart. You have to make these people your friends. Like you have to heal these wounds. Um, otherwise it's just going to be more civil war. Um, so I think, you know, credit where credit is due. He did attempt to do that um, by focusing everyone's uh, violence <laughs> to more <laughs> um, imperial ambitions. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I, I do think um, I really like it. And I've, I've seen this play done very few times. And the few times I have seen it done, it, I, I've been very unsatisfied um, because I just feel this is such a complicated play just in terms of like the prose in this play is really hard. Like I feel like the prose in this play is harder than the prose in Henry IV part one because there's always kind of like everyone's always in Henry four part one, there's always like the butt of a joke somewhere, like somebody's a joke or we're, or everyone's reacting to the rebellion in Hotspur. But because we don't have that sort of plot focal point um, driving us forward, it's, it's a more difficult play to sort of punch through. And um, I've never seen a production where this moment was like, whoa like really shocking and i think in order for us to have the sort of double punch of the falstaff rejection we need to see how much like i think part of us needs to kind of think that maybe hal won't do what he says he's gonna do mm. and that maybe he won't be able to and i think for the audience that could be and for because clearly like the nobles have absolute including his brothers his three younger brothers have no faith that he is going to throw off, you know, like, who is it that says like, oh yeah, you better become best friends with Falstaff now. Um, his favorite brother, Thomas, you know, like says this to, you know, like if you want any power, you're going to have to, you're going to have to cozy up to Falstaff. And then this, this change, I mean, I think this is such a wonderful scene to provoke the sort of silent reactions and interactions uh, between all the people on stage as Henry is speaking, like, oh my God, is he serious? Like, what? Um, because I think, you know, like I said, I think we really need to feel like the nobility have also had the rug pulled out from under them, that both the expectations of the nobles are frustrated as, as he says at the end of this speech, but also obviously the expectations for Falstaff are about to be frustrated. So 
there's a level of unpredictability that I think can be really energizing to, to the end of this, um, to the end of this play that I, I very rarely seen sort of played around with. So anyway, that, that, that was my, that's my piece. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, it's a complete change of character, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, yeah, he completely changes from what he had been previously and on like leading up to him coming into the room right like we set that up like oh well he's like warwick says he's the worst of these uh of these three gentlemen i mean just like <laughs> it's like okay great we have to like you know he's the king but he low-key kind of sucks you know so like, absolutely terrible yeah he's he is the worst um you know but at the same time like the audience has um some has insight into what that last conversation between hal and his father was which these, yeah. his other brothers and everybody else around him doesn't have. So yeah, I think it, like what you were saying, Ariana, is just, a, we have to see that stark difference in that massive change. Yeah. Um, it's like he has a new character name now too. You know, yeah. it's not just a new personality. It's like, we're not calling him Hal anymore. He's not Harry, he's King Henry the V. Um, I feel, he just feels yeah. so much more grounded here even even with uh at the beginning of his conversation with justice right um he just he holds on to all the power like you don't see him get outwardly like angry at him at any point it's very grounded and has more of that regal nobility that you were mentioning earlier as well and i think that you know that juxtaposes what we see in part one and then earlier in part two as well and I, th- I think, you know, it's, it's important to note that Hal is really good at status interactions by this point. Um, he's learned when to get angry and when to, when to try a different tactic. And I think to my reading, because there was this, this whole, this provocation of the, the chief, the Lord Chief Justice speech, which is like, I was the crown prince and you threw me in jail. How am I supposed to forget that? The He could either be, you know, being very provocative and wanting the Lord Chief Justice to sort of justify this, this decision he made, or he could honestly be like, what am I going to do with you? Like, you've already sort of undermined my authority by doing this thing, but it's such an unexpected turn. And he provokes such this, this very passionate outburst about upholding the law of the land um, that it just sort of transforms the, the interaction. Similarly, you know, I would, I I really struggle with in in Henry V, uh, his horrific speech to the governor of Harfleur about like, you really need to, you need to yield now while I still have control over my soldiers or you're going to watch your daughters raped, your father's uh, head smashed in, your infant spitted upon pikes. I mean, it's like the most disturbing imagery. And then as soon as the governor says, okay, like we, we have no more defenses, you, you can come in. You know, he immediately turns around and says to his uncle, like, be sure that you use mercy with everyone. And it's just like, what, 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 what? Like, it's such a disturbing speech with such disturbing violence inherent in, in the imagery. But there is this weird way in which he's, he's not saying I'm going to do this. He's going to say, I, he's really saying like, I don't want this to happen to you, mm-hmm. but this is what happens during warfare. Um, so there's these, there's so many ways in which this, again, Mercury, I think being a very apt 
title for for Henry like he changes right he's very mercurial mercutio <laughs> that's where that comes from hey hey um yeah there's just it's it's like changeable right um anyway I just find this this scene very fascinating uh, uh, were there any other any other thoughts I mean you just made me think of one um talking about status how good mm. he is at understanding the status especially in situations when he's more powerful but it, just thinking about it because he spent so much time in the like poor of the poor area he's always been king in, in yeah. some way he's always been the leader who has the ultimate status of the peers around him mm-hmm. so him becoming king and just being elevated with a different group of people you know who all have more power than you know say Falstaff and the other folk of the tavern um is a relationship that he's very used to Mm, that's interesting I didn't think about that before but you're of course you're right yeah that he he would be the sort of most high status person in those tavern scenes although I would argue that all that sometimes status doesn't always uh have to do with rank like that's one one of my favorite character type is like the super high status servant or the very low status king like when when the perceived social position is actually superseded by the sort of personal disposition of a character. I think Falstaff is in a way like supremely high status and that a lot of their interactions are status negotiations, <laughs> like particularly when it has to do with playing jokes on Falstaff. It's like, how can we make him low status and his, his frequent, um, wiggling out of those situations and coming off much better than the people who pulled the prank on him is like one of his great talents um (laughs) but yeah do you think that's a reason why you know hal has to disavow falstaff at the end i mean Mm. because his status (laughs) you know could undermine hal's status Absolutely. Rhoda, I think that's a wonderful point. And I, and I also think it's the reason that Falstaff cannot appear in Henry V. He's just too <laughs> high status. Like, he's just too, like, he takes up too much space. And Henry V is a, is a play, like, about warfare and, <laughs> and, like, a very, very interesting look at some, at a general, right? And it's like, it's almost like, even though we do get the similar sort of ironic and, and deeply cynical look at, at a different sides of warfare in that play. It's like, we can't have false staff. Like he just somehow, he doesn't fit in that world anymore. Um, he's too big. Like you can't have two characters that are that big in one play somehow. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's, um, interesting too how Hale's speech in part one about uh i'm i like the sun will come out and uh, reveal myself as being that this was all and even in this uh play i forget which character has basically says it again that oh he's just doing this to learn their ways and so he can be a better king when they you know it's like that uh some some people say shakespeare doesn't have subtext or you know it's like because when we did part one we were kind of like does he mean it is this what it is no yeah no they absolutely mean it you know (laughs) (laughs) he's he's gonna be a great king and you know he's gonna it's kind of uh, the the foreshadowing of why he's doing this and like i don't know if shakespeare didn't want to insult royalty or something (laughs) 
um, you know, to get away with making Hal a, a bit of a rogue. But um, yeah. it's interesting that it all comes to fruition. Absolutely. But I think also like there is a danger of making Hal so kind of Machiavellian. Uh, I did see a production of part one where there, he, he had absolutely no affection for Falstaff. So I was like, the stakes are so low if you play it that way, because he's not sacrificing anything by the end when he, you know, if he doesn't love Falstaff fundamentally, like, there's nothing there's nothing he has to give up right there is no sacrifice to become king so that like really bothered me that that one i will not say where i saw that but it was many years ago um but it was like i was like there's no point in this play like (laughs) there's no sacrifice you know well i think they're both like trying to take advantage of the other in a way but both lose their heart in the yeah I love that. I love yeah. that. I think that's that's marvelous. And, um, and I will say that speech, Marty, um, about you know that the clouds smothering up his glory. I, in our production, we really we looked at it more as prophecy and less as declaration of intent. Hmm. Where yeah, he saw did. this, it was there was this almost a small sense of foreboding, like this is coming and this is going to happen. And it didn't necessarily feel like Hal was saying, I am going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it yeah. Yeah, I know. Rest- I, I mean, having having worked with you on that speech, Noah, I I definitely remember the the it 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 had a very different um it had a very different tone than like, hey guys, this is what I'm doing, you know, which is actually kind of what the villains do in Shakespeare, right? That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey guys, I know you guys love watching me. I'm going to tell you a couple things I'm about to do. Like, this is like Richard III, right? <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to let you in on my secrets. And we're like, oh, you bad king. Oh, we want to watch more, you know? So I think there's, there's definitely... Um, there's a seduction of the audience that happens for a lot of the villains in Shakespeare. But I think, yeah, I think you're right, especially because it's the only moment we get alone with Hal until he kills Hotspur. Like if he had repeated sort of over and over again, these sort of moments alone with the audience, then I would say there's more, there's something else going on. But because it's Mm -hmm. that one speech at the beginning, it does feel very, very different from the rest of the play and his attitude during the rest of the play. Um, Yeah. Um, Great burden in knowing that you're the next king, isn't it? Oh, yeah. A great burden knowing you're the next king or even to fight against having the responsibility of being the next king. Complicated, very complicated and also just to point out that he was not the next king from birth you know his father mm-hmm. usurped the throne so he he it wasn't like he was raised when he was a young boy to be the prince i think his father took the throne when he was 12 so from then from that point on he was the crown prince and that's got to do something to you too that's a very different upbringing i think than most of the royalty um Mm-hmm. I want to go to the drinking scene in the country because it's really fun. And Rhoda, I'm really looking forward to your singing. <laughs> God, okay. I What I was going to write you is just that you can feel free to do whatever tune you want for these. I don't think there's like a sp- particular traditional way in which <laughs> there's like a 
a green sleeves tune or something, you know, <laughs> I think it can be just like whatever you want. Yeah. So let's, let's have fun uh, with drinking songs and, and uh, lots of food. Yum. Nay, you shall see my orchard where in an arbor, we will eat a last year's pippin of mine own grafting with a dish of caraways and so forth. Come, cousin Silence, and then to bed. Oh, God, you have here a goodly dwelling and a rich. Oh, baron, 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 beggars all, beggars all, Sir John. Mary, oh, good air. Spread, Davy, spread, Davy. Oh, well, said or laid? Um, I think it's said in the folio, but I, I, I leave it to your decision. <laughs> well, I, I understand well laid, Davy, better than well said, Davy. Sounds, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well laid, Davy. This Davy serves you for good uses. He is your serving man and your husband. A oh, good violet, a good violet, a very good Violet, Sir John. <laughs> oh, I have too much back at sir. <laughs> Good Violet. Now sit down, now sit down. Come, cousin. Ah, sir, quotha, we shall. Do nothing but eat and make good cheer and praise God for the merry year when flesh is cheap and females dear and lusty lads roam here and there so merrily and ever among so merrily. <laughs> <laughs> There's a merry heart. Good Master Silence, I'll give you a health for that anon. Give Master Bard off some wine, Davy. Sweet sir, sit. I'll be with you anon. Most sweet sir, sit. <laughs> master Page, good Master Page, sit. Preface, what you want in meat will have in drink, but you must bear the hearts all. Be merry, Master Bardolph, and my little soldier there. Be merry. Be merry, be merry. My wife has all, for women are shrews, both short and tall. Tis merry in hall when beards wag all. And welcome, merry shrub tide. Be merry, be merry. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think Master Silence had been a man of this metal. Oh, I? I have been married twice and once ere now. <laughs> There's a dish of leather coats for you. Davy. Your worship, I'll be with you straight. A cup of wine, sir? A cup of wine that's brisk and fine and drink unto the lame and mine and merry heart lives along. <laughs> well said, Master Silence. And we shall be merry. Now comes in the sweet of the night. Health and long life to you, Master Silence. Fill the cup and let it come. I'll pledge you a mile to the bottom. Oh, honest Bardolph, welcome. If thou wantst anything and will not call, be shrew thy heart. Welcome, my little tiny thief. And welcome indeed to I'll drink to Master Bardolph and to all the Cavalieros about London. 
I hope to see London once ere I die. Then I might see you there, Davy. No, by the mass, you'll crack a quart together. <laughs> Will you not, Master Bardolph? Yay, sir, in a puddle pot. <laughs> oh, my God's ligands, I thank thee. <laughs> the knave will stick by thee, I can assure thee that. Uh, will not out, uh, tis true bread. I'll stick by him, sir. <gasps> Why... There spoke a king, lack nothing, be merry. Look who's at the door there, ho, who knocks? Why now, you have done me right. Do me right, and dub me not Samingo. Is it not so? Tis so. Is so, why then, say an old man can do somewhat. And please, your worship, there's one pistol come from the court with news. From the court? Let him come in. How now, Pistol? Sir John, God save you. What wind blew you hither, Pistol? Not the ill wind which blows no man to good. Sweet knight, thou art now one of the greatest men in this realm. My lady, I think it be but Goodman Puff of Barson. Puff, puff in thy teeth, most recreant coward base. Sir John, I am thy Pistol and thy friend. And helter-skelter have I rode to thee, and tidings do I bring, and lucky joys, and golden times, and happy news of price. I pray thee, now deliver them like a man of this world. A footer for the world and worldlings base. I speak of Africa and golden joys. Oh, base Assyrian knight, what is thy news? Let King Cafetua know the truth thereof. And Robin Hood, Scarlet, and John. Shall Dunghill curs confront the helicons? And shall good news be baffled? Then, Pistol, lay thy head in fury's lap. Honest gentlemen, I know not your breeding. Why then, lament therefore? Will give me pardon, sir. If, sir, you come with news from the court, I take it there's but two ways either to utter them or conceal them. I am, sir, under the king in some authority. Under which king, Bessonian, speak or die? Under King Harry. Harry the fourth or fifth? Harry the fourth. The footer for thine office. Sir John, thy tender lamb's skin now is king. Harry the fifth, the man, I speak the truth. When pistol lies, do this, and fig me like the bragging Spaniard. What? Is the old king dead? As nail in door. The things I speak are just. Away, Bardolph. Saddle my horse. Master Robert Shallow, choose what office thou wilt in the land. Tis thine. Pistol, I will double charge thee with dignities. Oh, joyful day, I would not take a knighthood for my fortune. What, I do bring good news? Carry Master Silas to bed. Master Shallow, my lord Shallow, uh, be what thou wilt. I am fortune's steward. Get on thy boots. We'll ride all night. Oh, sweet 
pistol. Away, Bardolph. Come, a pistol. Honor more to me. And with all device, something to do thyself good. Boot, boot, Master Shallow. Uh, I know the young king is sick for me. Uh, let us take any man's horses. The laws of England are at my commandment. <laughs> Blessed are they that have been my friends. And woe to my Lord Chief Justice. <laughs> let vultures vile seize on his lungs also. Where is the life that late I led, say they? Why, <laughs> here it is. Welcome these pleasant days. Thank you all. That was hugely enjoyable. Um, <laughs> I love this scene because it's like, it's just like the time around like, to, like one in the morning going to two in the morning where everything's like really fun, but it's a bit out of control and nobody really knows what's going on. And then something happens and everyone reacts to it. And master silence falls asleep after singing, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's just like utter chaos. Um, I, anyway, I just, I, I th thoroughly enjoyed listening to all of you read that. Well, um, were there, were there any thoughts about, about the scene and your, and your characters? <laughs> Just at the end, it's like, wow, I mean, Falstaff, when he says that, you know, about the chief, Lord Chief Justice, he's, it's so sad. I mean, because it's pride cometh before the fall, you know. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Well, and I, I love his, his sort of uh, thesis that like the laws of England are mine. You know, yeah, like, yeah. there's something like, take anybody's horses. Yeah, I love take that. anyone's horses. <laughs> Who cares? You know, it's just like the level of elation, though. I think that Falstaff must have. This is like what he's waited for. You know, it's it's kind of extraordinary. Um, I just I love the moment where he figures out that King Henry has died. And I think I, I think there's probably like this moment of solemnness, but he's just like a kid on Christmas morning who yeah. can't just contain <laughs> his joy. He's like trying to be sad, but he's so happy at the same time. Um, like even to pay shrift to it. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Uh, and I, also the coattails of promise, you know, of uh, ambition that you too are now gonna have whatever it is you want, even though you're way down there on the pecking oh, order, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Well, and I love, I mean, even Bardolph's like, I, I would, I would rather have this day than be knighted, you know? Like it's an extraordinary <laughs> thing to say. Like they just all feel like we're gonna be the courtiers now, you know? It's just like, <laughs> like so funny. But I do love the um, the old king dead as a nail in a door. I mean, where have we heard that before? I wonder if this is the the sort of first time we hear like dead as a doornail, because um, there's there's quite a lot of those that, that crop up in Shakespeare. One of my oh, yeah. favorite misquotes we came we we found in uh, uh, King John. Um, you know, people frequently say to gild the lily, but it's to gild refined gold to paint the lily um in in king john which is where that phrase yeah. comes from because you wouldn't gild a lily nor would you paint it really i mean but it's about you know adding things to things that don't need adding to 
Um, but it's it's fun to sort of track how many of these little phrases sort of pop out. Um, and that one really, really came out for me. I was like, oh, is that where that's from? <laughs> question mark, question mark. Um, I just love, Pistol is such a huge character. My God, he just, his language is so different than everyone else too. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's like a combination of really like, cause a Futra is sort of like, ah, fuck it kind of. Um, but then like, and then he puts himself in like base Assyrian night. And it's like, who, what play is he in? Like, he's just such a crazy character. Like who's King Cafetua? Who knows? You know? Oh, it's the, I, I wrote this down actually. Uh, Cafetua is the African king of a romantic ballad who fell in love with a beggar girl named Xenolophon. There, there you go. Um, and the helicons are like the nine muses and the furies are the go- like he just sort of lives in this like mythical world um yeah <laughs> which is maybe why captain fluellen and henry v likes him so much because captain fluellen is obsessed with the roman wars and the the tales of the roman disciplines and pistols always using these like mythological figures in his, in his language but yeah what, what are your thoughts mike <laughs> oh no i i just love it it's one of my favorites i think um because yeah and, and yeah on the one hand he's using all this this mythical sort of language and he's speaking in in verse for a lot of it yeah and then all of a sudden it's like you know it obscene gesture yeah and so i did i don't know if that thing's okay or not but <laughs> Because do this, I'm assuming funny. he does this or like this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> fig me like the bragging Spaniard. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. It's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he's, he's, quite a, he's quite a character. Again, it's like we're trying out new gestures to fill Falstaff's spot, right? For Henry V. <laughs> he's going to make the cut. <laughs> um, but it is, it is definitely... Um, it's very interesting to have a sort of having sort of gone from one main comedic figure in Henry the first uh, Henry the fourth part one to come to part two and we have sort of like shallow and silence we've got pistol and Falstaff and Bardolph and the page boy it's like it's a variety show you know it's yeah. like how many how many little vignettes can we create with this little troupe um yeah, beautiful singing there, Rhoda, too. That was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Really fun. Great. I also really enjoy God's ligands, which I, I found uh, ligands that? here means dear eyelids, which is like, Wait, what, what a strange what? oath. What? What? Dear By God's what? dear eyelids. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is just okay. like a very strange way to to swear, but well, he's um, drunk. He's yeah, drunk. yeah. Would that refer to like Jesus on the cross or something? I have no idea. <laughs> Ligands, though, it's just like what a strange. And and who's Puff? Like who who are these people? Um, there's a lot of funny, just like weird language in this scene. Um, that is hard to yeah. It's just hard to. To, to crack but yeah what any other impressions of this this silliness 
What's a Bessonian? Uh, bu- 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 under which king? Bessonian. Yeah, like a, a low fellow scoundrel. Oh, you're talking to the wrong fellow. <laughs> <laughs> Shallow ain't no low fellow. <laughs> no, he's not. Him be a justice. He's going to be here here before long. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Lord Shallow. That's such a great moment. He's like, have whatever title you want. <laughs> what do you think, Marty? Um, that, that that Falstaff's like preferred position of power is. Like, what do you think is his his great life ambition here? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> um. Yeah, Hand of the King. Are we going Games of Thrones? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, That's you know, funny. and if he needed a break, I could sit on the throne for him for a while. Yeah. Or um, <laughs> you know, I want all all the um, the the pomp and um, perks without any of the responsibility, of course. Yeah. But um, uh, the royal banquet yeah, the... fixture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think the ear of the guy. I, I think if it, I think if Henry ever you know did anything right, it was because he did what I told him to do. So yeah. he probably you know if he's going to succeed as king, he's going to need my constant advice, and mm. it's going to cost him. So, um, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he um, has you know, something like you know. The hand hand of the king uh you yeah. know uh, the the top advisor of the the king because uh, i want i wanted to be known i want to be have power over other people i want to be yeah. um, feared and um be able to treat all my friends to such and and I, if i do care for hal i think he will need my advice because um that's right quite frankly i think he does need that um touch with the the common folk that um perhaps he, he he might lack the rest of the court certainly lacks and he would yeah. lack without my help so. yeah i i i find there's there's something quite sweet to me about i know the, the justice young... the chief justice yeah oh yeah exactly the, injustice, um... the chief injustice hey hey <laughs> <laughs> the the i know the young king is is sick for me to me it's like such a it's a very sort of sweet sentimental line in the middle of all this ah we're gonna steal all the horses everything belongs to us like there is there is kind of a kernel of truth in that like that the young king is 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 sick for me um yeah like longing or pining or i mean heartbroken because his father has died and he needs he needs his other father yeah 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 Oh, this no. is just all leading up to such tragedy. Build <laughs> <laughs> him up great, to knock him back down. <laughs> great tragic moment. Um, goodness. I wonder. I, I wonder. Like, go, I mean, I guess I'm jumping the boat. The, the whatever. I'm hopefully not jumping the shark, but jumping the. Um, um, uh, how much? Um, how certain is Hal with this coming uh, scene? And yeah. Um, is there any regret or is it purely he knows exactly how he's saying it now and it's sort of interesting I don't know, is there a moment between them or it's a, it could be a very interesting scene but 
Oh my gosh. Yes. In terms of staging, I think it's completely essential to sort of think about all of these, these very complex things that are happening in that speech. And I'm, I'm looking forward to when we get to it. Cause I also think there's something, something happens in that scene that softens him even by the end of the speech, something happens in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately for the tavern lads, uh, if they were to see this next scene, they might have a a different feeling about what was going to be happening. But so our wonderful tavern lasses are being taken off to prison in this, as part of the new regime. Um, This is really, this is a particularly sad scene, I think to me. Um, So we have our, our hostess and doll and a new uh, member of the, <laughs> the Justice League. Wait, no, that's something else. Um, a new <laughs> member of the um, <laughs> of something <laughs> of the of the law in England, which is the the Beetle, as it's called, uh, the Beetle, who's a part of the sort of like a constable or an officer who is dragging these our lovely ladies off. So um, here we go with a five four. No, thou errant knave. I would to God I might die that I'm, I might have thee hanged. Thou hast drawn my shoulder out of joint. The constables have delivered her over to me and she shall have whipping cheer, I warrant her. There hath been a man or two killed about her. Nuck, 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 you lie. Come on, I'll tell thee what, thou damned tripe-visaged rascal. And the child I go with, do miscarry, thou wert better, thou hast struck thy mother, thou paper-faced villain. Oh, the Lord that Sir John were come. I would make this a bloody day to somebody, but I pray to God the fruit of her womb miscarry. If it do, you shall have a dozen of cushions again. You have but eleven now. Come, I charge you both go with me, for the man is dead that you and Pistol beat amongst you. I'll tell you what, you thin man in a censer. I will have you as soundly swinged for this, you blue-bottle rogue, you filthy famished correctioner. If you be not swinged, I will swear half curls. Come, come, you she-knight-errant, come. Oh, God, that right should thus overcome might. Well, if sufferance comes ease. Come, you rogue, come, bring me to a justice. I come, you starved bloodhound. Goodman death, goodman bones. Thou Adamy thou, come you thin thing, come you rascal. Very well. That's it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I think the ladies get the the best insults. I'm going to maintain that. Um, Of course. Again, like this, the beetle must be very skinny because we have all of these like (laughs) hating on thin people. Um, Oh. uh, Is this an incense holder? Like, so is she comparing him to an incense stick? That would be really funny. I think kind of. Because, okay, what I wrote down for censor is a perfuming vessel with a perforated and ornamented lid. So that sounds to me like that has to do with incense. Yeah. In a censor. It's yeah. In the Catholic church. Right? Incense stick. Yes. Yes. Mm. <laughs> you incense stick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um and then uh, I love that the host to say, oh, I pray God that she miscarry. Like, yeah, what the hell? Like, <laughs> I think this is just another one of her, um, of her 
you mean to say that she doesn't miscarry. Yeah, right? right? Like it's it's not that she yeah. wants that to No, happen, no, correct? not at all. Okay, because I, I was sitting here real confused for a second. The malaprop moment. Okay. But it's like what a thing to say, you know. She's just <laughs> very flustered. Her shoulder almost came out of joint. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Was exactly. Doll actually pregnant or does she have a bunch of cushions stuck up her dress? I mean, that's, <laughs> I think, the question of the day because that's, yeah, the beetle essentially says if the if your womb, right, if you have this baby, it just means that you, hostess, would have 12 cushions because clearly you only have 11 now because she just stuffed <laughs> a pillow up her skirt like and said, I'm pregnant. Um, so I don't know if that's the case or if, or it seems to be the implication that she is in fact, just put a pillow under her dress. Um, but it is a, it is a strange thing to say. Time has passed. So. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Not that much. Not that much. Um, (laughs) certainly not enough time to have 11 cushions worth of a child. (laughs) (laughs) So she just do that to kind of avoid being hurt? Yes, because yeah, that was that was something that uh they they wouldn't kill pregnant women or hang Mm -hmm. pregnant women, right? So that that would definitely be a good well like we we see that with Joan in um Yeah Henry Six. Six, yeah. Yeah. Where she claims to be pregnant too. Right before they are about to kill her. And they're yeah. like, no, you're not. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Um, that's, a, just, oof, that's a rough scene. That's yeah. a rough scene. Um, I just like that the hostess is like, oh, if only Falstaff were here. Because I'm sitting here like, what would Falstaff do? He'd probably be like, oh, blah, 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 and like walk away. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine that he would actually do anything to help them. But maybe that's me like, you know underestimating Falstaff mm. a bit oh but he made such a he made such a hullabaloo when you were trying to arrest him you know like he I well, mean obviously he kind of got Bardolf to do most of the work but there was there was definitely like a sense of like I'm protesting this this is injustice course. you know so well he's hand of the king now of course so yes oh, exactly like, oh. you know exactly but these poor um what he I was your sort money of, for you yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> if he if he were to pay you back, you would have your your bail money, right? I mean, right. <laughs> it's like, um, like don't worry, I'll look over all your assets. Everything will be fine. Everything. <laughs> she comes back and like the tavern has like literally been re- reduced to like the size of a shoe. Like yeah, 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 just like one stool in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah. Like exactly. Um, it is kind of extraordinary. The man is dead that you and Pistol beat amongst you whoa that new information like that a lot so many plot points just get discussed very quickly yeah all the was that the guy yeah so So was was that the guy whose shoulder was out at the bar they're like you heard him bad like his shoulders out oh but that was pistol the the person they beat was pistol so this has got to be like a different person right the, oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. Died? Yeah, that's what I want to yeah. know. Who died? <laughs> <laughs> who is this person that they? Because it's like it, either this is just like all made up, or there was an altercation in which Pistol Doll and the hostess beat a man to death, which is like a little bit like 
what question mark um are they pretending like they beat the king i don't know the, the king's dead the king's dead. Some, this some is a reference to his somewhere death. is making a decision to like stage this fight in the background of the <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Make, making them that really yes, or well. like this becomes like police body cam footage question mark question mark <laughs> like i don't even know what to do with this moment um were they killed in like, front of them or did the girl, girls participate in the beating yeah well and also everything we've heard about pistol is that he's really good at swearing but he actually never ever really draws his weapon or actually fights at all um mm -hmm. so it it does seem to me to be i mean i'm gonna go on the side of of hostess and doll and pistol and actually say that this seems to be a fabricated charge yeah i um, just i don't really know what the hostess would use to kill a man <laughs> Like I just can't. Her really... words, yeah, yeah. Her quick wit, for sure. Well, maybe yeah. this sort of like you know, there's a new sheriff in town, and yeah. there's going to be law and order. You know, even if yeah. it's completely unjust. Yeah, I mean, I I get that sense. I mean, I remember when we when we staged this during the epilogue. When I did this with the the young Shakespeare players in in Madison, when we staged the epilogue, it was all of the tavern folk walked across the stage in chains during the epilogue. Mm. and that that because that's essentially what's happening to them right they're all being arrested and it's really sad but it's like that's what's happening to them and i i can't help but think that this is a completely made up charge because everyone knows like the hostess whether she is knowledgeable or not runs a house in which uh prostitution frequently happens right so that's against the law doll is a prostitute right pistol and Bardolph and Falstaff are thieves, you know, they, they, they steal from people. So these are all offenders of the law, but I, it does seem to me that this is an extreme charge for them to be brought up against. Um, well, and also saying that yeah. it just seems like a big cleanup, right? You know, yeah. because who, who used to frequent that tavern? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, exactly. You know, Hal's king now, and it kind of yeah. seems like, like dusting things under the rug or like yeah. just, you know, well, maybe getting, it's getting rid of the evidence. I, I don't know if that's what it is at all, but that's kind of what it feels like. like Falstaff doesn't have the power anymore. Like you're on his side, you're his crew, mm -hmm. and you're going down. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This also adds a dimension of violence to that milieu in which uh, Hal spent his youth. It, it was that ugly. It wasn't just fun and games and getting drunk and playing pranks. Mm -hmm. There was violence. And if there was a guy killed, I would imagine that it was that, that the women were defending themselves and Pistol was helping them defend themselves. Yeah. But maybe it was just that bad uh, and, uh, and a milieu in which uh, Hal had been living. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a uh, definite possibility. I mean, we, we, the thing is that just like we've seen, we saw one of their robberies in part one and it was, pretty comical i mean the the people who were being robbed were scared but were released very quickly <laughs> and no harm came to any of them and then actually the conclusion of that robbery was that they were paid back with interest you know so they actually made money off of being <laughs> robbed but this isn't um, comical anymore no yeah. exactly right. it's like what's happening now and 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 as uh Hal is about, to, or Henry V is about to say, 
I've turned away from you and I've turned away from everyone I used to hang out with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a, this is a sweeping, this is like a, a sweeping of, um, I, I, I think that the best sort of comparison I can make is that, you know, the, the previous King struggled to control the nobility mm-hmm. and Hal is, is now, controlling them in a different way, but he seems to be applying this logic to the lower classes and particularly the thief class, right? Um, uh, that he knows so very well. So there is a really yeah. interesting to me as in all of these, well, ex- with the possible exception of Richard II, just because there are so few people of lower social classes in that play. I think in both the Henry IV plays and in Henry V, there's a lot of there's a lot about class and there's a lot about um, yeah. how different uh, people are treated depending on whether they came from a noble family or not. Um, and we see that in what happens to them in warfare. You know, the people with names get ransomed. Uh, the people without names get slaughtered, you know? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of discrepancies between the ways in which um, the different social classes are, are, are treated. Um, now, if I were in the audience, I'd be thinking, well, don't worry, Falstaff will get them out. Hal will get them out. They'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. And as we're about to see, mm, not so much. Um, let's, I guess, let's turn to this mm, moment. <laughs> the only noise I can make is like a um, bit of a sad noise. And we get our three little grooms. So yeah, let's read through five five. More rushes, more rushes. Trumpets have sounded twice. Will be two o'clock ere they come from the coronation. Dispatch, dispatch. Stand here by me, Master Shallow. I will make the king do your grace. I will leer upon him as it comes by, and do but mark the countenance that he will give me. God bless thy lungs, good night. Come here, pistol. Stand behind me. Oh, if I had had time to have made new liveries, I would have bestowed the thousand pounds I borrowed of you. But tis no matter. This poor show doth better. This doth infer the zeal I had to see him. It does so. It shows my earnestness of affection. It does so. My devotion. It, it, it does, it does, it does. As it were, to ride day and night, and not to liberate, not to remember, not to have patience to shift me. It is best certain. But to stand, stained with travel, sweating with desire to see him, thinking of nothing else, putting all affairs else in oblivion, as if there were nothing else to be done but to see him. Tis semper idem for obsqui hoc nihil est. Tis all in every part. Oh, tis so indeed. Uh, My knight, I will inflame thy noble liver and make thee rage. Thy doll and Helen of thy noble thoughts is in base durance and contagious prison, hailed thither by most mechanical and dirty hand. Rouse up revenge from Ebon den with fell electo's snake. For doll is in. 
pistol speaks not for truth. I will deliver her. There roars the sea and trumpet clangor sound. God save thy grace, King Hal, my royal Hal. The heavens thee guard and keep most royal imp of fame. God save thee, my sweet boy. My Lord Chief Justice, speak to that vain man. Have you your wits? Know you what tis you speak? My king, my Jove, I speak to thee, my heart. I know thee not, old man. Fall to thy prayers, how ill white hairs becomes a fool and jester. I have long dreamed of such a kind of man, so surfeit swelled, so old and so profane. But being awaked, I do despise my dream. Make less thy body hence, and more thy grace. Leave gormandizing. Know the grave doth gape for thee thrice wider than for other men. Reply not to me with a fool-born jest. Presume not that I am the thing I was. For God doth know, so shall the world perceive that I have turned away my former self. So will I, those that kept me company, when thou dost hear I am as I have been, approach me, and thou shalt be as thou wast, the tutor and the feeder of my riots. Till then I banish thee on pain of death, as I have done the rest of my misleaders, not to come near our person by ten mile for competence of life, I will allow you that lack of means and force you not to evils. And as we hear, you do reform yourselves. We will, according to your strengths and qualities, give you advancement, be it your charge, my lord, to see performed the tenor of my word. Set on. Master Shallow, I owe you a thousand pounds. Hey, Mary, Sir John which I beseech you to let me have home with me. That can hardly be, Master Shallow. Do not you grieve at this. I shall be sent for in private to him. Look you, he must seem thus to the world. Fear not your advancement. I will be the man yet that shall make you great. I cannot perceive how, unless you give me your doublet and stuff me out with straw. I beseech you, good Sir John, let me have five hundred of my thousand. Sir, I will be as good as my word. This that you heard, what, what a color. A color that I fear you will die in, Sir John. Fear no colors. Go with me to dinner. Come, Lieutenant Pistol. Come, Bardolph. I shall be sent for soon at night. Go, carry Sir John Falstaff to the fleet. Take all his company along with him. Uh, my, my lord. My lord. I cannot now speak. 
I will hear you soon. Take them away. Si fortuna me tormenta, spero me contenta. I like this fair proceeding of the kings. He hath intent his wanted followers shall be very well provided for, but all are banished till their conversations appear more wise and modest to the world. And so they are. The king hath called his parliaments, my lord. He hath. I will lay the odds that ere this year expire, we bear out civil swords and native fire as far as France. I heard a bird so sing, whose music, to my thinking, pleased the king. Come, will you hence? Ooh, okay. Wow. Oh, boy. This is a really sad scene. <laughs> I, um... Yeah, I don't really know where to begin. There's something to me so touching about Falstaff at the at the beginning here with his like, oh, I wish I'd had more time. I could have I could have made a, you know, a coronation outfit. And like there's something very sweet about this, this kind of thought of like, this is such a great day. I wish I had better clothes, but <laughs> I just got money. So <laughs> haven't had time. And, and it's, it's, it's both funny, but it's also, it's also kind of sweet. Like he, this is such a huge day for his Hal, you know, and he, it's like, he wants to, to be there for him. Yeah. The, the, I just wanted to, to just quickly, before we go into the discussion, this, after the, I know the not old man speech, there's the, the three different uses of the word color and each one means something different right so the first one when Falstaff said this that you heard was but a color sort of meaning this was a pretext this was a pretense like he had to say this right and then a color or a collar that I fear you will die in Sir John a color here or a color being the hangman's noose and then fear no colors which was a saying that meant fear no enemy fear fear nothing right so each one of these, it's like, even though he's just been devastated, he still has the ability to play with words and repeat them and give them a second meaning, which I think to me is like just a tiny sign of hope. Um, but yeah, I just would like to open it up to, to, to anyone of their, their the sort of thoughts and observations about this, about this scene. It seems like Hal was not totally expecting to see Falstaff. And yeah. Yeah. And I guess what you were saying about the clothing and stuff, it's, it's still, he shows up looking like shit, you yeah. know, and, <laughs> and yet, and he, yet he's weaving this dream to the people who can hear him. And what is it, Shella, where Pistol are going, oh, yes, you're right. Oh, yes, that's so right. Oh, yes, you're so. Yeah. Um, but to Hal or anyone who isn't being enchanted by him, it's still, they, he just showed up looking like crap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so it's like he sees through there's something where his conjuring of delusion can't extend beyond you know it's beyond he's beyond his reach at this point and um, it, it, he's even deluding himself and he's and he continues to try to delude himself past the speech even though I think and a really great job um, Noah I thought was with the yeah, there's just a moment in there where it was, you know, think that you, you know me or, you know, where it's just, it's like just an aside hits home. Stuff. Yeah. And it's like, but he's, he's trying to conjure it again and he can't, he can't convince shallow and he can't convince himself and he can't convince anyone. So it's really, yeah. 
it's like almost it's almost like theater like in the tempest where they talk about like sort of the the willingness of the audience to create this verisimilitude this world and unless you are willing to once people stop being willing to let Falstaff create the world around them he loses all his power and yeah it's the image That's I get of Falstaff yeah. is, it's like, you know, he's this very fat man, but it's like a very fat person who becomes ill and then loses all their girth. And there's something very sad about that, you know, where this enormity and this immensity suddenly becomes very diminished and just kind of withers away. Yeah, I love what you did vocally, Marty. There was like such a change. There was, it was, it went from your very like rich Falstaff voice into this kind of, where is that voice? It's, it's lost. It's just like you say, it's, he's lost his power. I, I, this, the, I know thee not old man fall to thy prayers is interesting to me for a number of reasons, obviously. I mean, it's, it's sort of the culmination of Hal from Hal turning the page over and turning into Henry I, I have to wonder how, does he truly believe this? Or is this something that it's like he almost needs to convince himself of by saying these words? And what does it cost him to say this speech? You know, I mean, for me, it feels very much like he has to, because it's a public, very public environment. He is, he is severing any perception of him, his connection with this man. And and that's why it feels so much like there's this aside in the middle of the speech explaining to Falstaff, you know, I have to reject you. I told you I would. Yeah. And, and, and then he goes back into this public <laughs> declaration of death. <laughs> if he, if he pursues, you know, being, you know, telling people about their relationship really. Yeah. And I, I think there's also a, the part that sticks out to me is when he says, when he has a new sentence for competence of life, I will allow you, right? Essentially, he's saying, I will pay for your life. <laughs> like, I will, I will give you money to live off of so that you will stop being a thief. And I wonder if that was something he was planning on doing or something about the effect of his speech that he's seeing mm. it has on Falstaff if there is like this, this moment of trying to negotiate with something he didn't quite expect. Um, and then it's, it's reinforced again by Lancaster saying, essentially he's, he's going to very well provide for these people that followed him when he was the prince. He's just not going to allow them access to his person. So there is, it's, it's almost like it's too harsh. We've got to like, somehow we've got to cushion this in some way, but it's like the damage is already done. And I love what you like, what we always bring up with, with Falstaff and, you know, wiggling out of situations that, you know, I feel like he's still trying to do that. That's his yeah. defense mechanism, but there's no wiggling out of this. This is just the harsh reality. Yeah. Al is moved on. And he's usually able to do that with his language. Right. But right. his last lines, my Lord, my Lord, he's lost his ability to sort of use language to do these incredible acrobatics <laughs> uh, through ethics and what have you you know it's just like he's he's lost as you say um it's like the bubble has burst right i have a question ari yeah. sorry um do i understand that correctly when he says 
uh, as we hear you do reform yourselves, we will, according to strengths and qualities, give you advancement. Is he basically like, if you turn your life around, like I'm going to advance your position again? We'll let I, you back in. I think so. I think so. Okay. Um, and that's sort of, again, again, sort of reinforced by Lancaster's line. Uh, he hath intent his wanted followers shall all be very well provided for, but all are banished till their conversations, which in this context means way of life, behaviors, manners, conducts, appear more wise and modest to the world, right? So the Reformation, right? <laughs> Interesting choice of words. <laughs> As we hear you do, reform yourself, then we will give you advancement according to your strength and quality. So there is this, this cushioning of the rejection being, I will actually pay for your lifestyle as long as you reform yourself and you become a productive member of society. But it there's is also this sort of this like treatment of him. Suddenly he's no longer favored. He is going to be treated like anyone else. It's yeah. like, just like anyone else, if you merit it, you know, it's all all this sort of corrupt um, favoritism and cronyism and is shoved to the side and you, you, you'll you trade like anyone else right now. Can yeah. he do that to a knight? Thanks. the king. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I know he's the king, but that's some status. Or, I mean, a knighthood, right? I think so. But uh, again, a knight is not an inherited status, right? It's a status that is bequeathed by a king for meritous service. Um, and, you know, obviously Falstaff had that a long time ago, but as a sort of, he's sort of the, the, uh, the buffoon knight at this point, and he hasn't done charitable service uh, and he hasn't had great deeds in battle because Hal knows that he didn't kill Hotspur, you know? So the thing that's sort of given him cover for this play which has mitigated his, for example, what the, the Lord Chief Justice talks about, like your good day's service at Shrewsbury has sort of let us overlook your night's exploits at Gad's Hill. He doesn't have that cover anymore because Hal knows that he didn't kill Hotspur. Um, and, and it's a long way to fall. It is a long way to fall. Absolutely. I've, I, I found myself when I, I had an incredibly short rehearsal period when I was working on this play as Hal, but I had played Hal in Henry the fourth part one quite a few times. I knew that play very well. And I found myself every single time we, we performed this scene, I had to work really hard not to tear up and kind of lose it. Um, Cause to me, there, there's something about this. And because I just watched this movie, I'm going to make this reference. Does everyone know the, the, the movie, the snowman? Right, it's this beautiful animated movie that was made by the BBC, I think, in like the the early '80s, about this boy who it's snowing and he goes outside and he builds this beautiful snowman and then he goes and he visits it in the nighttime and it comes alive and they have all these adventures together and they fly to the <laughs> North Pole and he meets Santa and you know he gets a scarf and then they fly back home and there's just beautiful music. And he comes back and he says goodnight to the snowman who stands there. And then he comes out in the morning and the snowman has melted. And it's like, it's like the most devastating, like I'm, I'm tearing up just like thinking about it. Like as soon as they take off on their flight, like I just completely lost it. I'm like 32 years old and like losing it over this 20 minute children's film. But to me, it's kind of like that. It's like, it's saying goodbye to childhood. It's so sad. <laughs> it's like, 
I can't live in this world of innocence and denial anymore. Like I have to become the son, right? Which is exactly what he wanted to become. He said he wanted to become at the beginning. Like I have to melt away the snowman. Like I have to say goodbye to my fantasies and, and to, to fun essentially, because I have the responsibility of an entire kingdom on my back. Um, and anyway, and, and I think, yeah, I think for how when um, even if Henry had not been the king as his father to watch your parent die, oh my God, be there at the moment of death is quite a thing. And yeah. uh, then to add uh, a king and an inherited king to it, I can't imagine for her, uh, Hal what it must be like. Must yeah. be really powerful. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, and even it's it's interesting, you know, he is also now not really himself in, in the sort of philosophy of the kings. He is the realm, right? So he 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 can't just be himself. He has to take responsibility for literally everyone. I mean, this is a very idealized version of what government should be. This is probably not the reality, but this is the way the king, there's a reason the king is called, refers to himself or the queen refers to herself as we, right? Because they've, they've ceased to sort of exist as an individual and they exist as their country. Like the country is embodied in them in, in this sort of philosophy. Huge thing. It's a huge thing to take on. And, and even when he's punishing the people who tried to set a rebellion against him uh, at the beginning of Henry V, you know, he essentially says, I am not punishing you for trying to take my life. I'm not seeking any revenge for that, but you would have put my subjects and my land's safety, you would have put them into subjugation, right? And I can't allow that. And I can't forgive that essentially. And it's an interesting, it's a, it's a bit of a nuanced argument, but I, I, I think there is a sense of like, there's no separation between the job and the person for the king, as we've seen with King Henry, like and that can, and that can be a very heavy responsibility. Um, and it tends to displace personal love too. Yeah. Uh, when uh, Falstaff talks about uh, the king uh, and the royal people as having cold blood, uh, yeah. he's right in that sense. That's, yeah, that's wonderful, Eric. I, I totally agree. There is, yeah, it's like they almost can't love, right? They can't have sort of, it, it, ideally they need to, to have a coldness about them that allows them to make <laughs> really difficult decisions. Yeah. Um, and in a way they kind of lose their humanity, right? To a certain extent when they, when they have to become this person. Maybe that's what makes a really great king when they can incorporate that humanity into that supra humanness yeah absolutely and I, and I would argue you know maybe that is what what happens to Henry why he has such rapport with his subjects can continuing into the next play and why he's referred to as the hero king it wasn't necessarily I mean the the book that I I, I sent you guys the chapter I think on on Henry the fourth sort of makes the argument that he was probably the greatest military mind to sit on the English throne but that there it was a it was a a moment of remarkable stability for the for the kingdom which was <laughs> sandwiched between two eras of very remarkable instability and civil war 
Um, but somehow he managed in a way to bring the country together. And maybe that's just through imperialism of <laughs> like, we need a foreign um, enemy so we can concentrate all of our ill will on them and create a lot of scenes about their very unfortunate relationship with their horses. Um, but uh, <laughs> there's like, um, there's, it, it is, it does seem to be a, a, this is a different King than Richard II and Henry IV. I think we're meant to see that. I would love to jump in here, Sam, and have you uh, read us the epilogue, which is really unusual prose epilogue with yeah. a lot of interesting topical language. <laughs> for oh yeah, let's let's, uh, let's see what happens. Okay, awesome. <laughs> First, my fear, then my curtsy, last my speech. My fear is your displeasure, my curtsy, my duty, and my speech to beg your pardons. If you look for a good speech now, you undo me for what I have to say is of mine own making and what indeed I should say will, I doubt, prove mine own marring, but to the purpose and so to the venture. Be it known to you, as it is very well, I was lately here in the end of a displeasing play to pray your patience for it and to promise you a better. I meant indeed to pay you with this, which if like an ill venture to come unluckily home, I break and you, my gentle creditors, lose. Here I promised you I would be, and here I commit my body to your mercies. Bait me some and I will pay you some, and as most debtors do, promise you uh, infinitely. And so I kneel down before you, but indeed to pray for the queen. If my tongue cannot entreat you to acquit me, Will you command me to use my legs? And yet that were but light payment to dance out of your debt. But a good conscience will make any possible satisfaction. And so would I. All the gentlewomen here have forgiven me. If the gentlemen will not, then the, gen then the gentlemen do not agree with the gentlewomen, which was never seen in such an assembly. One word more, I beseech you. If you be not too much cloyed with fat meat, our humble author will continue the story of Sir John in it and make you marry with fair Catherine of France, where, for anything I know, Falstaff shall die of a sweat, unless already I be killed with your hard opinions, for Oldcastle died martyr, and this is not the man. My tongue is wary, when my legs are too, I will bid you good night. Whoa. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit of a tongue twister there. Yeah. Um, there's so many qualifications for what you're saying. I had this just flash when you were saying this. I was like, I really hope that um, when you're talking about other epilogues, that you're not talking about as you like it, which was also written around this time that mm. also has an epilogue. <laughs> cause I'm like, yeah. cause that's a good play. It's a bit weird. It's a bit weird. Yeah. It's a bit all over the place. Is that he apologizing for having killed off Falstaff or about to kill off Falstaff? That's kind of, so. yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. It's like, please forgive me. I'm begging the Queen's forgiveness. Yeah. Also cause Falstaff is such a loved, I, I would assume at this time was a very loved character. You know, mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. love him now. I would assume that they would love him then. 
Yeah, and it I sounds think it was like he's the Victorians that hated him because <laughs> they hate everything <laughs> and they're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it almost feels like a like a curtain speech, except at the end. Yeah, it's like come yeah. out like sorry, we had such a sad ending. Uh, yeah. but, you know, oh boy, what a what gonna... a buzzkill, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got Sir John coming up soon, so we got that new play. <laughs> and now a dance. Right? Yes. It's like, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. well, and I'll say goodnight. <laughs> well, and what's what's funny Well, what's interesting about that is they would always write, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when they they would always end with a jig. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. So like it's like I'll I'll do a little uh, jig for you because that's what we normally do, but um, <laughs> things still aren't great. You're still not going to be super happy. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't totally uncommon to do an epilogue right at the end of plays. To have someone come no. out and sort of do a little. I think there's just not a lot of Shakespeare plays that had right. epilogues. Like um, this one, uh, there's an epilogue to Henry V which is also depressing. And then there's a delightful and very charming epilogue in As You Like It that Rosalind says, where essentially she's like, I know it's not, um, it's not normal for the woman to give the epilogue, which is wonderful mm. because also, of course, it would be a man saying that. Um, <laughs> the, you know, it's kind of amazing, like the, the gender confusion that exists in, in the comedies, but ge just generally, if you're imagining that all of these are being uh, performed by men and actually young boys. This this isn't rumor. No, no, not in verse. Yeah, who not, is this person? Yeah, who is I don't. Yeah, who is this? Yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> um, stage manager. There is a really <laughs> yeah, <guy>. yeah. <laughs> comes out and like their black with their like headset on. <laughs> oh, guys, sorry about that. That was. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, we'll somebody's do like, better. We'll do somebody's better. better next time. in the background, they bring out the ghost light. Like, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. that you definitely know. seems to be kind of the vibe of this. Yeah. Of sort of like, all right, because it isn't a character, right? Mm -hmm. Which most of the epilogues are a, a previous character that we've met. Like even in Henry V, it's the chorus who has started every act for us, and so it makes sense that the chorus would end the play. Um, there is a little bit, I think, of, of, a, of a sense of the chorus. We were talking about this um, with Henry V. My, my sister Isabel is reading the chorus part. And, um, you know, she was pointing out that there's a lot of, um, there's so many qualifications about like, I know we're low budget. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know that we only have like five weapons to represent Agincourt. <laughs> use your imagination like please keep listening you know there's like this kind of apologetic like i know we're not that good but like hold you know <laughs> like keep going so i do i do sense that thread from the henry five choruses that is sort of maybe getting its start here um because we don't get a hint of that with rumor rumor is like bold and brash and like bringing the audience in uh in a very in a, in a really kind of insinuous way and this is more of a like don't hurt me <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's a very different attitude to end and it's very weird way to end a play um it's frequently well, cut yeah. uh i mean the whole end of the play is not well it's not weird but it's such a heartbreaking thing right and yeah. we're seeing such a different how and like his change so it, it almost feels appropriate that the ending of the play, like the epilogue of it would feel starkly different to the beginning of it. 
or yeah. to like rumor speech at the top. Cause that's I think I, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like that's the only way that you could transition into what Henry five. So maybe the audience is grumbling and I don't yeah. like this ending. <laughs> we want Paul Stav. We want fun. This yeah. guy has to yeah. come out. And... Uh, yeah. I feel like the speech is like to quench like a riot they're going to have. At <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, did, it I had, had to happen. It feels like it's for, I mean, it feels like this epilogue is for the groundlings. That's what it feels. It feels like because you know, at a lot of at the end of a lot of Shakespeare's plays, like the whole thing is like bringing order to the end of it, right? We see that as like a constant sh- a, a trait in all of the plays. Like ah, yes, like order, uh, order ever- restored, yeah. order is restored. Thank you, <laughs> order is restored. And so that happens in a weird way here when Hal writes off Falstaff. Like it's him, like taking his power is king now to me at least that's like how i you know how i interpret it and so it feels like this epilogue is asking for forgiveness from the groundlings specifically because the people that we're seeing like class-wise that are being so horribly affected at the end of this play would be groundlings yeah yeah of course you know i mean because yeah he's you know he says pray for the queen because obviously like the queen would be you know at the time would be like up in her little box, like watching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't really sound like it's for her or Even for eating their turkey legs cloyed with fat meat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I also yeah. love that she, she makes um, note of um, Old, Old Castle, who is yes. uh, Falstaff's original name was Old Castle. And I, I wonder if it had become like a very well known, like, we're gonna change his name, but everybody knows it was Old Castle. Yeah. It's like a big thing, but like, like that is not the man, and everyone's yeah. like, ah, uh-huh. "Yeah, we yeah. all know." Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, apparently that like the Old Castle family was like really upset that this was how they were their ancestor was being portrayed, and they they <laughs> they, they they had a huge they were just there was a huge stink about it. So I I think there is there is a bit of a cheeky like. Hey, this wasn't him he oh, died a funny. martyr you know oh, like yeah, there, yeah. there is it's a very shakespeare like oh people <laughs> like, you know, like oh but um it's interesting so that and so i kneel down before you but indeed to pray for the queen in the folio it's actually at the very it's the very last line of this which oh is, that that line is at the very end yeah yeah oh wow uh which i i kind of wish i had caught that but um yeah that it's uh I think it would be like a kneel because that's what they would do, right? They would all mm-hmm. kneel and then they would get up and do their jig and then kneel again and do their mm-hmm. curtsy, right? Um, so I guess I have a question then, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity. I mean, obviously we don't know for sure, but would you think that in like in terms of the jig, do you think that would be before the epilogue or do you think they think would do the jig after. after? You think it would be after? I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think they would finish the text and then do the And then the do the jig. jig. Yeah. I apologize, no cathartic about the jig too Mm -hmm. um i mean they 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 did these these jigs after the tragedies too Mm -hmm. it was like a way of sort of okay let's wipe the slate clean let's have some music and some dancing and then everyone can go home and have dinner because this would be you know they would be performing midday because they needed the light the sunlight and then everyone would go home and 
have their final meal and get drunk. Yeah, um, J- jigs after a tragedy, they're they're kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I remember I this is kind of a tangent. I saw back in 2011 at the Globe, I saw um, Dr. Faustus and they mm. had a jig at the end of it, but they had like all these little like zombie dolls, not zombie. They were like these like bloody little dolls that they were like dancing around after like <laughs> this horrible ending. They're like, la la la, everything's fine. But like <laughs> dancing with these dolls around. <laughs> yeah, I, to me, it's like, it's a, it's a ritual. It's like a cleansing yeah. ritual. Um, at the, and theater is so much about ritual and collective experience you know there's something like very like Mm -hmm. we let we let this go um when I was in Japan we were performing at this ancient uh shrine stage that had not been uh no one had ever performed anything in English on it in its whole history so that was really exciting and like part of our part of our sort of cathartic group experience before we performed was we got buckets and buckets of water that we pulled from this well and we were scrubbing this ancient ancient floor before we performed on it but it was also right next to a shrine and what the all of the visitors would do they had this amazing we had this amazing collective moment um, with some of our Japanese hosts right before we performed where we all went to the shrine and they rang the bell it's like to get the ancestors to to pay attention and then everyone sort of clapped together twice and it was just this it was this moment of like catharsis and and this shared breathing before we went in and we did it again at the end of at at the of the performance as well and it was really it was just kind of amazing it's very very simple gesture but there's something about this collective action was really like it just let everyone breathe um and it was it was it was pretty cool yeah man i missed that shrine stage it was so beautiful (laughs) What, what show did you perform on that stage was it macbeth Ooh. yeah we needed some catharsis after that <laughs> um, and, and actually the the cool the fun part was uh we had two <clears throat> moments um so it was a there was a it was a town where the monks would ring the bell at sunrise and at sunset and right before i heard the owl scream and the crickets cry we heard an owl and we were all like <laughs> oh my god oh my god we summoned an owl and then right before the because we were performing slightly before sunset it's it's like i go and it is done right the bell invites me like Hmm. a minute before he got to that point the monks rang the bell to signify sunset so it was like Oh, oh my god (laughs) there was definitely there were vibes going on at that that shrine stage like it was extraordinary um but yeah i I think it to me it it really brought the, the theater comes out of religious tradition right it comes out of a, a, a tool for religions to sort of teach morality and then it sort of morphed into something else but it's always theater is always rooted in ritual in a collective ritual that we all ha- go through together mm-hmm. uh, was really a very long-winded way of, <laughs> of tying up this the end of this play were there any sort of final thoughts just on act five or the play in general just this very complex play that we've all gone uh, uh through this journey on together it's complicated that's my last <laughs> it's complicated if i were to yeah if i were to like create a facebook relationship status for this play 
it's complicated like would be the one that I would choose I think like <laughs> it's complicated well you know and after for me like after reading the whole thing like this I I find I understand in some ways but I also find it really interesting that so many companies decide like theater companies decide to do Henry for part one and two together in one as one play because I think there's really so much in part two that sets us up for what Henry five is going to be. Yeah. And so I think it's actually a shame. I find it now, like having deep dived into this, like it's a shame that I think this play gets cut apart as much as it does in yeah. those, because it's not necessarily the, the most action packed one of the two. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like so. it really gives closure though. Yeah. I think All doing that. it without part one would be, Huh? confusing yeah yeah i do agree yeah, i think I that is true, the but... that is tricky to do it with that. <laughs> it's also just a badly named play you know anytime you name a play part two that just sucks for the marketing department it's like how do we what do we do here <laughs> like, how do we... he invented the miniseries but you had to have watched previously on you know like <laughs> it's important um but it's, it certainly, I will say it, it certainly makes these, uh, the history plays much harder to take them one at a time because they're so dependent upon each mm -hmm. other in a certain sense. They're very dependent on what happened before and there's usually references to it, but it's like, how do you? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, even, there's stuff in this that wouldn't make sense to anybody if they didn't know Richard II, yeah. you know? I think, but I, and I think it's just gonna keep, it just keeps developing that way the farther into the histories you get yeah but well know. and like yeah yeah mike please. good oh no it's, it's almost like <laughs> it's almost like um it, the history for them at the time they they would have been much more familiar with all yes. of these characters anyway so it's almost like if we had plays written now today about washington and adams and yeah. and you know we see these series and things and you learn new things but i mean i, I think almost everybody knows that john quincy adams is john adams son right i mean that's i think that's pretty clear I mean, we didn't rename, you know, our leaders, but, but I think it's, yeah. So I think they would have had a much better grasp, but it didn't really matter what order, because he, what did he do? He started with six, one, two, and three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some order of Henry the sixth, <laughs> not yeah. sure which, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Six, one, two, and three, and then Richard the third, which sort of makes itself the, the sort of, tetralogy that was written first but is about later history right more contemporary yeah. history in a, in a certain sense because it was closer to his particular time period then went back and wrote Richard II then probably actually wrote King John between Richard II and the Henry IV plays and then Henry IV part one part two and Henry V and pretty much in the succession of about two years um yeah and, uh, you know, interesting, I, I hope everyone has listened to the, the James Shapiro interview, which is our bonus episode for, for tabling. But um, uh, Jim talks a lot about um, there's a difference between the Elizabethan Shakespeare and the Jacobean Shakespeare, right? The Elizabethan Shakespeare is very concerned with English history. The Jacobean Shakespeare writes about British history, right? He writes, this is where King Lear and Macbeth uh, come into play different parts of England it's more ancient 
England and Scotland. And then we get Cymbeline, which is like this kind of crazy play that's like ancient Britain plus like contemporary Italy <laughs> all at once. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's um, the focus shifts, uh, I think. Thank you all so very, very much for going on this, this, this journey through Henry the Fourth, part two. Um, thank you. Fun. Woohoo.